The first time I met and spoke to Nishant Sharma was at this year's imbibe in London. Here was somebody who was genuinely enjoying what they were doing. His stand was tucked away on the back wall and would be lying if we said he was drawing the same crowds as the large stands in the front, with their music pumping out, doing everything they could to stand out. Hey, we've got energy, just like our booze. Still, folks were stopping by, driven by curiosity, if nothing else. Rutland Square, old name for a gin. Oolong tea infused chai sipping gin? That's something a bit different. I mean, what is that? Is that something from Starbucks? Nishant was definitely holding the monopoly on that one. There was a very suspicious look on people's faces as they held the small sample of the gin and took a sniff. This look turned to realization as they discovered among the 13 botanicals you could smell the tea. And at the first sip, taken neat, there was definitely the taste of oolong chai. All of this was followed by grins and nods of their heads. Hi, this is Vela Mitrovich, editor of the Distillers Journal and Distillers Journal podcast. And I'm Ross McPherson, co-host. In today's episode, we'll be talking to Nishant Sharma, founder and CEO of Rutland Square Gin. Right off the bat, we'll tell you this. Nishant, who started his career waiting tables at Indian restaurants in Glasgow before moving into financial services, went into distilling with no experience, not a zippo. At 34, with a four-year-old son, you have to question his sanity. If he was in Vegas sitting at a crafts table, while Rutland Square Gin hasn't exactly rolled snake eyes, it hasn't exactly rolled any sevens either. In many, many ways, his dream has been a hard slog, but what he does have going for him is an amazing story, starting with his great-grandfather in India, a Scottish officer, and a mutual love of moonshine that two men shared. So five years, six years ago, I went to India for my grandmother's funeral, where my grandfather sat down and started speaking about his father, who he has been inspired of throughout his life. And my great-grandfather was born in Punjab, the northwest part of uh, India. He was born in a, in a humble family. He, his father was a farmer, and they had um, a flour mill. So they would uh, grow their own grains and they will put it in the, 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 the grinder machine which they had in their shop and they will make flour for people and they will sell it in their village. Is is the life he had. But as he was growing, he didn't want it to be the farmer that his father was and he wanted an adventure because he, he always wanted an adventure. So he packed his bag, left two children and a wife behind, and had no idea where to go to. All he had heard was there was a tea boom in India back in the 40s, and he wanted to uh, explore that option. And he 
took a train which took him four or five days and a steam engine train and he uh, arrived in a small town in the northeast part of India like from one land's end to the another land's end so he went from west he, he arrived in Assam uh, the, 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 the town was called Dubriga it's a tiny town uh, mostly not known for tea plantations and you know uh, so british had a, a lot of presence there a uh, lot of lords and ladies from 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 the uk um, had residence there because they were business people merchants who would uh, uh, buy these tea plantations and have people grow tea for them that they took back to the uk so he arrived in in assam and he started working as a, a forest officer in the tea plantation where he would lead a small team of people to chop trees and um, this is where he met this Scottish officer who was stationed as a security guard for the same lord at his residence. And uh, he was in the British Army, but he was stationed uh, to, you know, as, as a security guard for them. Um, and as, as people with titles as lords and ladies have. Uh, so they both met and they, they both shared a common interest. And the common interest was the love for uh, exploring and making illegal moonshine. So they, they both would make moonshine and, you know, that, that was their uh, day off fun. And they, my grandfather happened to had some education back then. So he had good English. So communication wasn't an issue because he was the communicator among the labor and the British as well. This is how he landed with that job. He had done matriculation, which was equal to hires in India back then. Um, and uh, growing up, I have always learned and heard about uh, him being so educa educated and back in that day when people didn't even uh, go to school. Yeah, so they both met and during these endeavors, they realized there was a gap in the market. And the gap was single malt whiskey wasn't allowed to be sold to the common man because it was a rich man's drink. It was only sold to the royal family, uh, lords and ladies, or people in the British Army. So now they had this light bulb moment where uh, the Scottish officer would buy the single malt whiskey from the officer's club, claiming as for his personal use, but he would bring this bottle of whiskey over to my great-grandfather. And they both will, they both set up a, a, a home distillery. Uh, using pressure cookers and all the equipment they had and they started uh, distilling whiskey using grains because my great-grandfather came from a farmer family so he had the knowledge of how the grain works and how you can make alcohol from grain and fermentation and x y and z so they started making whiskey in his backyard and they started mixing the blend the scottish officer got from the uh, the army canteen uh, as they called it, uh, and they started selling it to the common man as Indian blended scotch. So they, they both went on this adventure. So your great-grandfather was making a blended Scottish sort of whiskey in India, and you're making a sort of Indian gin in Scotland. Do you feel that somehow you've completed a circle? Well, the journey before gin happened, I wanted to do whiskey. 
whiskey was uh, uh, what I really wanted to do after I learned about the story. But when I came back and I spent uh, six to twelve months doing my R and D, I soon realized whiskey is out of scope because I don't have the millions you need to even set up a micro distillery for whiskey. You know, whiskey is not whiskey until it matures for three years in a cask, and I didn't have the cash flow to sustain this uh, business model where. I would have invested my life savings into whiskey, but then uh, there would have been no traction for first three years, and I would have gone bust. So then I went back to the drawing board. I, I had this idea of doing alcohol, something in alcohol. I've never been a fan of vodka, and vodka wasn't um, uh, giving me that element to my story. Um, I have been an avid consumer of gin, and I and I had this uh, idea where. I decided I can pay homage to my great grandfather, and pay homage to the city I, I live in, and I can do that with gin because gin is literally um, vodka with juniper berries. And if you uh, juniper is leading the gin, but if I bring back the the botanicals from India, from from his city, I can you know um, start my own journey. So this is how gin came about. There are hundreds and hundreds of gins being made in the UK with some very basic London dry, and now there's having ingredients such as oyster shells added. Why did you think there was a need for a spice chai gin? It had to have that element of the story. And and when I started R&D, started my R&D into gin, uh, bringing, bringing myself up to speed and how, what gin is and how it's made, how do I contribute, how do I involve uh, the the city where my great grandfather and the Scottish officer met. So that city is popular for tea. So tea had to be in the gin. And commercially, if I just put tea gin, it wasn't exciting for me. So it had to be a hybrid gin, which you know tells the tale of the past, also the tale of the present. So chai literally translates to tea in Asia. So if I am inviting you over for a cup of tea to my house, I would say, come over for a cup of chai. So chai was a, a phrase, uh, you know, that we commonly use in a house. And I thought chai, but then there was another issue to the chai. Starbucks has uh, ruined the, the, the whole concept of chai because they sell chai latte, which is tea and coffee together. That just doesn't make sense. I would never mix my tea and coffee together. But then I learned they're not doing that. They have created a... Um, a concentrate flavor, which they call chai, because chai word sounds sexy, and they had started um, marketing it as chai latte, and then now, when I am approaching my customers, I have to sort of educate them, so I take them down the memory lane and I say chai literally means tea, chai latte and tea are two different things. I would not mix my gin and coffee together. Starbucks has a different concept to what we are. Our gin is led by tea, and the tea that we use in our gin comes from the same tea estate that was owned by my great grandfather. And this is where the Scottish officer and the and the, uh, the uh, my great grandfather met. How did you come up with the recipe, which involved the experimenting with hundreds of teas? Recipe. So I. <laughs> I was in India. I took many trips to India, going back and forth after this uh, whole chaos erupted. I bought back 250 variants of tea. I never knew there were so many types of tea. There were, you know, tea everywhere, green tea, blue tea, red tea, you name it and they have it. 
So I bought back samples of everything that I could, you know, you get those small pouches and I bought back, I got stopped by the immigration officer. So uh, it's like, what is this man up to? P people bring back drugs and you are bringing tea. What's going on here? And, <laughs> and then I had to tell them the story of, I'm trying to create something with tea and this is why I'm bringing so many samples of tea from India uh, so we can test. So uh, early days, I, uh, collaborated with Queen Margaret University. They have a small distillation team and you know, you, you, you create a project with them and they help you create your recipe. And there's a small grant government gives you that plugs into that, which pays uh, for the, for the distillers uh, consultation fees. So I use that because we're experimenting with so many teas, there was no boundaries and it, it wasn't eco economical. So I had uh, tested around uh, 50, 60 variants of tea. And for some reason, Oolong kept on repeating on my palate over and over again. And especially for the nose, it had a very distinctive smell. It didn't smell like tea at all. It smelled like uh, a cigar. Um, and an oaky, smoky note was coming through and I was like, uh, then I shortlisted around 10, 15 teas. And then I came across to uh, my current uh, contract distiller Spickering. And I said, I want to do something with tea. They were intrigued with the idea. And I was like, you know, uh, we, we, we understand gin quite well because we do a lot of gins. And then we sat down, we refined the recipe that I had. I had a list of botanicals I wanted, cardamom, cinnamon, star anise, lucrus, uh, orange peel, lemon peel. So I gave them a list of botanicals and then we started tweaking the recipe a little. And then we went, I used to take my family and friends, my, my brother-in-law, you know, my friend Kima from the Salty restaurant. And we went there and we would come back drunk because now we are tasting gin every single day. So, so we did many sessions and then we we landed on this recipe uh, that everybody gave thumbs up to. And, and I took some samples and I distributed among a few students from University of Edinburgh because I was working as a contractor with University of Edinburgh then. Uh, that was my full-time job and this was my part-time hustle I was doing on the side. So um, I sort of started collecting data. I gave them unlabeled bottles of uh, gin that we created. and. Uh, this the gin that I had just now uh, was the, the the most reviewed gin, and everybody gave. So this was um, uh, what's that word? Sample C, and I had the most thumbs up for sample C, and so I took sample C back and I said, "Listen, this the sample is, is something I would like to do something with," and then we refined a little, made it more palatable because it had to be a sipping gin because my family sips whiskey so uh, and whiskey was uh, in the background so we sip our whiskey so it had to be sipping gin so we tweak the recipe a little more so that it's, it doesn't give you the burn from the alcohol you can sip over ice with the garnish it also had to be something you can mix it in cocktail for commercial reasons because i wanted this to be everywhere uh, it wasn't going to be a part-time hobby that I wanted to do. So it had to be something that restaurants and hotels can mix with other ingredients and make a cocktail out of it. And it had to be um, a, a simple G&T or a gin and uh, G&T drink for people, those who just enjoy G&T. 
So after a lot of back and forth, we found the final recipe, which ticked all the boxes, and we created Chai Spice Gin. In reviews of Rutland Square Gin, numerous folks have mentioned that it doesn't require a mixer. Was this planned? Yes. So uh, as you say, charity begins at home. Nobody drinks gin in my family. So uh, my, my core customers were these people in my in my network. So I had something that they can enjoy. So sipping gin was on top of my uh, on my agenda, uh, and and had to complement you know uh, complement what 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 they 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 were consuming. So so yeah, sipping gin was on top of my list because uh, there aren't many sipping gins in the market, and also because my family consumes uh, gin uh, whiskey, so it had to be something that they can sip over ice. So you got to the recipe, got the process down. How did you come up with the name of Rutland Square? I mean, it doesn't exactly capture the feeling of India. So Rutland Square, I collaborated with Contagious. Contagious is a brand management agency in Edinburgh, Leith. The guys have been behind many popular whiskies and gins. And when we collaborated together, because I had no idea about uh, designs and so I, I wanted to use some someone those who can give uh, shape size and uh, sort of picture to the idea I had in my mind and uh, they came back and they gave me a lot of names but it had to be something that plugged in with our story so the, the whole concept started back from for, for, for traveling because I had to fly to India for my ingredients. I was taking a lot of trips, trips back and forth. So travel was something I was have always been inspired of, and um, and my ingredients are in India. So where do we go first when we have to go to India? You have to go to come to Rutland Square in Edinburgh because that's where the Indian Embassy sits, and it has been there for uh, for forever, um, as long as I, I can remember. So the name Rutland Square um, got hooked to my mind and we went back to to the drawing board and I said, can we use Rutland Square? And I had the same question as you, why? I said, because I have to go to Rutland Square to get my visa to India. Once I get my visa to India, then I'm allowed to board the plane. Uh, and this is how I land in India for my tea that I bring back and and i make my gin and everybody were in in sync i was like yes, yes okay let's do rutland square so this is how rutland square came about i know there are plans in the work for you to do your own distilling sometime next year but like many you're using a contract distiller for the time being how did you pick one oh that was a tough one um i made a list of 10 distillers who provided contract distilling and uh, Pickerings were the were not the most economical choice, but they were a strategic choice. Summerhall Distillery is closer to where I live, so if I were to go down the route of contract distilling, there had to be an element where I can you know pop up and I can interact with them and I can drop things off them rather than picking somebody up north. So it had to be in Scotland because it. it pays homage to Scotland where I am and our, our gin screams Scottish gin. So when I picked the top 10 distillers in Scotland, Pickerings were showing up over and over again in that list. 
also when I met uh, Matt from Pickerings, he was quite involved in the in in the in helping me create that first question. Um, you know, he's, he's he's a very passionate distiller. He loves uh, making gin, and uh, he was helping me uh, refine my recipe. So you know, there there was a synergy that, that that was created. And though they are a big distillery, uh, and we were a small contract distiller for them, they never never shied away from giving the service we deserved or the attention that we deserved. Uh, most distillers, they, they, they don't entertain you in that level because unless the, the, the contract size is uh, five figures. But with uh, Summer Hall, they were excited about what we were doing. They had a lot of suggestions and, um, and recommendations and that helped us pick, pick the right kind of distillers for us. It sounds like there was a zillion advantages in having a contract distiller. Looking back, were there any disadvantages? Disadvantages, it's not the most economical way of doing things because they have to put a charge on uh, as they do. So they have to mark up. Uh, if I had my own distillery, um, I would buy everything in bulk and I can create a gin um, in huge quantity and I can just leave it there and I can just fill it in my bottle, uh, number of bottles I need and I can, you know, distribute or sell to people and then come back. Where you have to commit to a certain order as a startup, cash is something we never have. So we have to hunt for cash. And when you're, and, and, and because you're so new into the business, you don't get contracts easily. Uh, so it, it becomes a, a really challenging proposition, especially for startups. That's why most startups fail because they, they, they start the journey, then, then they run out of money and then they struggle to find money and they have to close doors. And, and I somewhat feel it happens to me every single month. Uh, every month we are at the edge of the door and uh, a miracle happens and, you know, uh, we push for another month and, and it has been, and I'll be very, very honest, it has been uh, like this for, for past, since launching, you know, it's, it's a month to month game. Um, and um, it's really hard. It's, it's not something uh, I recommend people doing. It gave me a heart attack. It's just how stressful this is. So answer to your question is it's not economical. Uh, as much as it would be if you're doing it by yourself um, in your warehouse. You don't have control over certain fa factors. You have to comply to their needs and it has to be done in a certain way, which is not the cost efficient way of doing it. So these are the cons for picking contract distilling. How are you marketing and selling Rutland Square Gin? Oh, we have... Uh, Selling, we sell directly to consumer through our website. We sell uh, directly to consumer through gin fairs and events. Uh, I'm going to one today to Aberdeen. So uh, I'll be leaving around 12 today. We have an event from 6 to 11 tonight, and then we have a all-day event from 12 till uh, 10 tomorrow uh, where we interact with customers. We, we share our story, and they buy our product, so direct to consumer through gin fairs and events, uh, direct to businesses through distribution. Um, I have uh, five key distributors I've lined up, uh, Matthew Clark's, Dunn's Food and Drinks, RS Food and Drinks, uh, Huffman's, and few others uh, who believe in our story and they are supporting our journey by distributing it into their channels. 
what we do is we do the hard work. We, we, we tag ourselves along. I come to one of the shops they supply to. We will do a gin tasting together. I will talk about the gin, what compelled me. I'll, I'll download the story. If they like it, they buy it and they stock it. They buy it from them. Are Indian restaurants selling your gin? We have um, Salty in Edinburgh. We have Mother India. They have around six restaurants under their belt. Uh, we have Scrum. We have, we have around seven to eight restaurants in Edinburgh. They are uh, stocking our gin. Not just Indian restaurants, some Italian restaurants um, and um, some progressive cuisine restaurants. We have around 15 to 20 restaurants in Glasgow. They have stocked our gin. And we have similar sort of number, a few in Wales and England as well. And uh, our gin has a listing in Virgin Hotels. Richard Branson uh, shared a post with my picture about uh, Virgin Hotels and startups coming together, uh, pushing for sustainability. They are focusing on supporting local. So they have listed our gin in their hotel, the, the new, new, newly built Virgin Hotel in India place in Edinburgh. We are discussing to do the same for Glasgow Hotel. Uh, Marriott Glasgow loves our gin because they have a tea room. Uh, every hotel which has a, an afternoon tea restaurant, they love our gin because our gin is made using oolong white tea. So it's easier for them to sell to their consumer uh, because they recommend a chai gin, which is a tea gin with their afternoon tea. Do you have any more types or flavors in the pipeline? No, I would uh, not do that uh, because I, I want to focus on one product and I have put in all my money and energy to make the best product that I can. And uh, by digressing into different flavors, I will be, uh, I wouldn't stay true to what I do sell. Our gin is made using all organic material. There is no artificial coloring. There is no artificial flavoring. Uh, it's not made from concentrate. It's made using independent distillation method uh, that uh, Summerhall does uh, using fresh botanicals. So by uh, digressing into different flavor gin, uh, it will require more capital, more R&D, um, you know, more cost to the current infrastructure, which I'm uh, not, not just the key reason I wouldn't do, it's just it, it wouldn't be me. Yes, I would do something is in this process, if I like a tea uh, that I, I really catches my attention, I might do uh, a limited edition, uh, a couple of thousand bottles just for collectors to collect and then we stop doing them. Uh, in that way, we, we will not go down the, the rabbit hole of you know, mass producing another flavor gin. Uh, we'll do spin-offs. I've watched you in action at trade fairs. What do you think is the ratio to samples to purchases? It totally depends. It depends uh, where you are and what kind of uh, consumer are, are, are attending the fair. Uh, if I take an example, Edinburgh is uh, very good when it comes to consumer buying products, where Glasgow is little notorious. They sample more, buy less. Um, so it, it, it totally depends. It's, it's, I wouldn't say it's city, it's, it's in, um, uh, people thing and also an event, uh, 
if there is a gin festival, just the gin, then people want to come meet the maker and collect their bottles. So that becomes a, a more a revenue generating exercise. Where if you, if I take an example of Foodies Festival, uh, which we did um, you know, two weeks ago in Glasgow, uh, there was a bar, there was an event, there was a live music, there was a lot of food. It was like a, a big concert. There were more sampling. We sampled more than what we sold. Um, so like we 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 barely. It was just like we we literally make no money. We just broke even. So it it, it is uh, something you know. It's part and parcel of what we are doing. We 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 hope every gin festival uh, gives us the revenue that helps us move forward. But sometimes uh, they are good days. Sometimes they are bad days, like any other business. What do you see as your challenges next year? Oh, biggest challenge is finding money. You know, uh, I'm I'm in the middle of raising capital to take this journey to its next phase, uh, which is export. I've got a lot of interest from countries like Spain, Germany, Italy, because they 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 have uh, an element of uh, hot food in their in their you know the consumer like hot food, not just Indian food. Uh, you know, Spain has a lot of paellas and. Uh, it has an element of spice in it, and our gin complements hot food. Uh, so, so yeah, challenge the biggest challenge is to find resource. The, the the constant struggle to find right kind of people to help you grow in this journey. Um, staff is something we we are really struggling with. We are struggling to find good people to work for. Uh, people come, they join the journey, they do it for two three weeks, uh, they take their month salary, and then they don't show up the next month because they found something better. So that's that's another challenge we, we have. Uh, what else? Uh, cost of uh, goods, uh, inflation is uh, all time high. My empty bottles have uh, doubled the price. I haven't added that price to, to my end consumer. I'm still pricing my gin at, at what price I launched it at, where other gin companies have started Added, adding the price of inflation into their products so they can recoup, recuperate this back. We are so new that if we do that, people will not buy our products. So this is another challenge we are facing is the the cost of goods are so high and, and the margins have uh, shrunk and they're so less that we, we constantly have to um, you know, pivot around this problem by adding. We have we have introduced glassware now with our branded glass because some people like that experience, just to balance it out. Do you feel like you have your great grandfather looking over your shoulder? <laughs> I hope so, and I think so. Every month a miracle happens. Um, you know, every month we are at the edge of. Um, folding the company um, and then you know something happens uh, a miracle happens and then we, we step into um, the next month like if I take an example I had a heart attack in March right and I had um, uh, no business between March April and May because I was recovering and there is a key man dependency and um, you know I uh, as all founders do I am doing everything I'm the salesperson I am the design person I am the the, the stock manager so I'm, I've got a lot of roles within the company uh, and and everything stopped and then I took a four-week break just to bring my headspace back into you know uh, 
just to collect myself because it's it's not easy for a 34 year old to have a heart attack and then just move forward from it so it was a challenging time and there was no business the company did uh, we still managed to you know stay afloat uh, there were family and friends who came together to help and then you know um, uh, and yeah uh, so definitely somebody is looking after me uh, from from the stars above um, uh, that that uh, pushes our, our our wheels over every month Nishant tells me that when he was in financial services and he was working for some big companies, he had a comfortable job, working just nine to five, wearing a nice suit and drawing a good salary. But he says it meant nothing to him. Nishant went to his job, did what he had to do and came back home with no sense of satisfaction. Now he doesn't have money, surviving month to month and his life is one of constant stress, leading to a heart attack at 34. This is a reality of distilling which very few people have the courage to talk about. But there is a, a, a certain joy that I feel uh, that motivates to motivates me every single day to wake up. Sort of, you know, that the term you hear, uh, finding purpose. Yeah. I don't know what purpose is. Uh, maybe this is the purpose because it's at least uh, giving me the drive to do what I'm doing, which is killing me. But still, I, I wake up every single morning, you know, uh, without thinking, today, I don't feel like doing this. The Distillers Journal Podcast production review media, produced and hosted by Vela Mitrovich and Ross McPherson. We would like to give a special thanks to Nishant Sharma of Rutland Square Gin, our sponsors, and most of all, to you, our listening compadres. Have a good one.